Welcome to uh, another episode of Under the Influence with me, Jazz Rai, and I'm joined today with Sharon Kalarai. Sharon runs a support group for families who are affected by someone else's drinking. Welcome, Sharon, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, Sharon, just tell us a bit about the uh, the support group you, you run on a Monday night in Birmingham in uh, Hansworth. Okay, it's... Um a support group for family members of alcoholics. Um, it runs on the same premise as M and A meeting, and it's a twelve-step program. It's basically just getting us to look at ourselves and try and deal with the um, chaos of living with or having lived with an alcoholic. And um, what what is the um, response like from the Punjabi Sikh community? I know this is it's not just for the Punjabi Sikh community, but it was. Uh, started to encourage more people from the Punjabi Sikh community to come forward and what's the response been like? Um, it's been very slow on the uptake if I'm mm-hmm. honest um, based on the fact that people still don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. as much as the problem is if that makes sense yeah. um, so also the fact that people don't want to see anybody else they know or their story coming out or um, you know the whole taboo of alcoholism so it is a little bit difficult um, this year, actually, we have had quite a few more people come forward, but particularly um, around lockdown, which has been really helpful um, for them as well. So people have been seeking support more, uh, but like I say, it's still very slow, compared, like considering the amount of alcoholics that we have in the Punjabi community, I would have expected a bigger response. But um, like I say, it, it's getting there. We're getting there. So. I, know, I know since COVID, you, you've been doing... Um a lot of meetings, recovery meetings, whether it's AA, any of the other fellowships, NACA, have been taking place on Zoom um, and other platforms. Um, I know you've been also doing Zoom meetings for your sport. And, and do, you, do you feel that they've helped people, more people accessing uh, the meetings via Zoom? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it helps in terms of you're not restricted geographically. So anybody can get involved as long as you've got like... Um, access to Zoom, so that's been really beneficial. Um, there's a, a few drawbacks with it in terms of no face-to-face contact and the fact that I feel like you're not having those little chats that you would around meetings. Um, so you know, like for, for particular people looking for sponsors, etc., you're not getting that one-on-one. Yeah. But in terms of the success of the Zoom meeting, I think it's something we will continue even when face-to-face meetings are back um, because everyone can get involved. And and how important are these meetings? I mean, you're saying the Punjabi the Punjabi community probably are not coming forward because of the shame or the guilt, or, or, or even feeling that they might be ostracised by their own community if someone finds out um, that they're living with a loved one who's got a problem. But how important is this support network for families? For some people, it's everything because, mm. um, particularly in the community, we have members. Who can't? Who don't actually speak to anybody else regarding the problem? They've managed to contain it, so nobody else knows about it. Um, so the only people they will talk to about their issue or their addict is us, um, because they they can't, don't want to talk to family, friends, or other members of the family because they don't know about it. So that literally we're the only place they can go for that um, strength and hope. Um, so it is. I think they're absolutely crucial. But Sharon, what's stopping people coming forward, do you think? You know, I know for the alcoholic, um, I know for me, if, you know, before I came into recovery 12 years ago, 
I didn't want to know, I was in denial. What is stopping families coming forward to and speaking? And there's a lot of awareness out there. We can't say that there isn't one. I know you do a lot of work in the community raising awareness uh, for families. You know, you've got people like myself and other people raising awareness for the addicts. What is it that's preventing people coming forward, do you feel? Well, the, the first is a universal issue, um, not just limited to Punjabi people, is the fact that the first question someone will, like, the first answer you'll get is like, oh, why don't you come to Alnon? It's like, I'm not the one with the problem. Mm. So firstly, it's recognising that when you're living in that chaos of an addict, an alcoholic, you, you are being damaged also. That's why they call it a family disease, because it affects at least five members of your family. One alcoholic will affect at least five members of your family um, in Indian families probably more but it's um, it, that's the first thing is you don't realise the damage that's being done to you and if you don't realise that you can't deal with it mm-hmm. um, that's why people are always the first thing they say nine times out of ten is how do I stop stop my partner or whoever from drinking well mm-hmm. no that's not what this programme is about it's about learning how to deal with it yourself and trying to find some kind of serenity in in the chaos that you're faced with mm. and you know the families that you are spoiling now how bigger a crutch has the um, the meetings been for them sorry how, how you know for the families of you have supported or that you're supporting who come to the meetings or the group uh, uh, support group that you do how big a crutch is it for them now um it's quite um it i'd say it's quite important for most of them um well, for all of us, really, because everyone in the meeting is at a different stage of whether their addict is drinking or in recovery or, or whatever process that we're at. Um, so everybody gets something different from it. Um, and you'll, um, I find that we're constantly learning from each other's experience um, and it's always relatable. So depending on what stage you're at, if you're alcoholic, still drinking, not drinking or in recovery, whatever you're at, I think it is really, um, it's still important to check in Mm -hmm. because we're checking in on ourselves, not on the addict. So we're checking at how far we've come in our 12-step program or in our journey, as opposed to the focus being on the addict. Can you talk about this 12-step program? You know, in AA, we do a 12-step program. And is that the same in the support group you run? It's similar, but it's a kind of process. I think with, um, for an actual addict, it's a much more aggressive process not aggressive but it it needs to be a bit more kind of rigid than ours ours is a a kinder way of looking at it and being kinder to ourselves Mm. and looking at the damage that's been done with us yeah it's been pretty tough for some people so for us it's more about like trying to get rid of past resentments and find a process for future ones so it's it's kind of like following the same process but a little bit more slower pace and you just mentioned something that I was going to talk about next, resentments. And, and that for some families, wives, husbands, some of them can't get past those resentments. You know, and how, do you, how does one deal with that, a, a wife or a husband or a family member who've got so many resentments to their partner or to their loved one who put them through so much pain in their addiction? It's, um, or still is putting through their addiction. Yeah, it's about um, making peace with your past resentments because obviously they're, they're destructive to your well-being. Um, so basically we just go through every process is kind of look back at how you've dealt with stuff in the past and how you deal with stuff in the future. So yeah. it's about... Um, yeah, so we do work a lot on resentments. Like we'll hold meetings 
solely to, to discuss them because obviously it's just about thinking because you can't move forward until you've made peace with your past and that's also with resentments, guilt, everything. So you, there's no single way that you would deal with that. It's just putting it out there for people to kind of just acknowledge that firstly they are resentments and secondly that there's no good holding on to it onto it it's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die it's yeah. not it's not going to do any good so it's just like but at the same time you've got to resolve them so that's why like with 12 steps you have to go back you have to make amends you have to kind of acknowledge your wrongs etc because you might be in a situation for example where you've had a, like a toxic slanging match and it's easier to blame the addict because he's been drinking but you've also said some things that aren't kind so then it's going back and looking through those and acknowledging, yeah, I've been unkind when I perhaps shouldn't have been. Uh, and so looking at your own wrongs. And, right, that, and, can, and can that be difficult for for someone else, though? You know, cause the, your first, the first reaction is going to be, is it's not my fault, it's he, you know, the alcoholics said this, so, it, you know, he's to blame. But then it must be quite difficult for you to look at yourself and think, actually, I might have contributed to that. Yeah, definitely. And it is really hard because when you you are faced with, with an addict, you are going to just look at them and think, well, he's done this and he's done that. And it's very easy to deflect. But because the addict is causing you so much pain and distress and um, whatever, it is easier just to, to put the focus straight on them. And it also almost justifies your own reactions. So say if you have been angry, aggressive and unkind, that's okay because... So is he, do you know what I mean? But it's not. And I think that's why the programme is so important is because it kind of teaches you that you're, you can't be accountable for someone else's actions, but you can be accountable for your own and you, your reaction isn't always as justified as you think it may be. I know some alcoholic men might say that um, the women know which buttons to press. Do you feel that's true? <laughs> Um, I think that's men generally, um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I, there is a lot of that, and that's another point. So women can be quite um, cantankerous and quite, um, you know, sometimes they, you know they do know which buttons to press, don't they? And so do men. Uh, and that's, we, that's something <laughs> that's something that we discuss a lot yeah. in terms of no one's as manipulative as an alcoholic. Yeah. So they also know what buttons to press. And do you get many men coming to these meetings? Have you ever had any men? I know you probably... We have in the past, but it's ne they've never, like, attended to do the programme. Um, I know there are men out there that go to different groups, so they are coming forward. Mm. Um, so, like I say, everything is quite slow on the uptake, but definitely making progress. How long have you been running this support group now? Um, it'll, it's coming up to two years now. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to be the mo most uptake that we've had has been since COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's probably because of uh, the it's been easy, more easy, accessible via Zoom and people can do it in the comfort of their home as well. I think it's just more people being at the end of their tether and coming forward because mm -hmm. um, I think um, with COVID being indoors stuck. Um, that's, that's what I was going to you know, mention as well. That have you found throughout COVID, especially earlier on, that there was more, you were getting more people reaching out for support yeah. and help yeah absolutely i mean a few have started coming to meetings and like regular but in terms of phone calls and people actually looking for support we, we've had quite a lot 
um, because obviously the situation intensifies when you can't even go and, out. And, and how has COVID contributed to that, would you say? I mean, we've seen reports in newspapers, even on the telly, saying that, I mean, I, I remember it nearly on, in just the month of March alone, the sales of alcohol went up 30%. So you can obviously, you know that there's going to be issues and problems yeah. arising. Yeah, I think it obviously it just intensifies, doesn't it? Mm. So especially for people who may have lost jobs and that's why like generally mental health has deteriorated through the COVID period as well um, due to austerity as well. But I think um, in terms of like, say for an, someone who's on the brink and then having to stay in and having nothing better to do, I th- it probably accelerated the Boredom issue more well, than, it? yeah, it probably accelerated mm. the issue more than it would have mm. if it was things were normal. Mm. And Sharon, you know, in the Punjabi community, Punjabi Sikh community, are, are you finding, I know you're supporting families and you see more women, but do you see that more women are drinking more as well, or problem drinkers in our community? Yeah, um, definitely an increase there, but I think it's just, there's probably been a lot before, but I think people are more confident to come forward. I think... Um, AA generally gets um, a, or support programs generally get a bad rep on media, social um, like media generally, but I've, and also I think there's a distrust of it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's getting a bit better now. Maybe it's more because I'm part of it. But I feel like the perception of it isn't quite as tainted as it used to be. So people are coming forward for help, and I also think that because more Punjabi people, men and women, are coming forward, it's kind of giving strength and hope to others. Thinking, well, if they've got sobriety then maybe I can too. So I think that's, that, that's also helping the situation. You know, but yeah, and, and our attitude's changing now in our community as well, not just to men, but also women, you know. I know, you know, certain people, men won't come forward because they think, well, I don't want so-and-so to know. So we, I can imagine how difficult it is for a woman to come forward, you know, with all the shame and being a mother or a daughter, you know, to come forward and saying, yes, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, absolutely. And also, it's more the fact that, you know, people don't want other people to know their business because they're too busy talking about each other. Mm. So, it, you know, that really needs to, is something generally that needs to kind of stop. But I also think it's the understanding. Like, for example, you know, when with the whole push on mental health, people like, will talk to someone. But sometimes you can talk to your other members of your family and, like your friends or, or other people and talk about the fact that you've got a relative who's an alcoholic, like a husband, a, a son, or whatever. But they won't have that understanding of what it's like to live with an alcoholic unless they've lived with one. So that's why these groups, are, for me, are essential because you can walk into a room and every single person understands Don't your situation. You. So, you know, even though there is a push on, on talking and absolutely right, you should, if you feel like you've got an issue, you should talk to people. But I'm saying that I don't think people completely understand. And I think as important as it is for us to raise awareness of the issue, it's also to raise understanding of the issue and how to deal with it if someone does come to you and says, oh, I'm really struggling, such and such as an alcoholic and I can't cope. It's just having that understanding. Because for us, it's still someone saying, oh, well, they can control it. And it's a massive perception but nobody really sees it as a disease as a disease i didn't until mm-hmm. i joined the program i didn't see it as how, a disease. How, we, how important we've talked about this in previous podcasts as well that, that that's the one thing that not just the punjabi Sikh community i think across the board where people 
do not want to accept that it's an illness because they've been wronged. But it is. It's, it's been medically proven. Psychiatrists, everyone accepts that it is an illness and a disease today. It absolutely is. And the thing is, it's, it's not seen as that because otherwise people would be kinder. Because it's like, you know, when you see someone making a fool of themselves at a wedding or like you know they've got a problem, it's more a kind of like, oh, well, why don't they just stop? Well, they mm. don't realise that that person can't just stop. Um, and I think that kind of negative attitude towards people who are alcoholics or addicts, it's just not fair. And, you know, it's changing that perception. And the thing is, it, I know it's hard to change that perception because it was hard to change my own perception. Because like you say, you, we've been damaged by it, we've been hurt by it. So it is difficult to, to kind of look at it with kindness. But I think that's something that's really important is is to look at it look at an addict with kindness because that's what they're looking for nine times out of ten i think something you know that what you you talk about their understanding is is key i think and and i think another word maybe uh, probably is empathy is to have empathy rather than sympathy yeah and uh, i know when i came into recovery early on i someone shared once in a meeting said that you know it was a sympathy that got us into the mess because we was always looking for validation but when we came into the rooms of recovery it was the empathy that made us better so that understanding is key isn't it yeah absolutely and also i think sympathy like you say is almost negative isn't mm. it it's like poor you yeah. uh, whereas like i don't think you know because an addict is already thinking poor me that's why they're where they are yeah i know and and, and that sometimes can be for the for the, the person affected as well, they want to play the victim all the time because they want to have someone to blame. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, there's always the kind of, you need to be, when you're damaged, it's you need to be the victim or the hero. So it's either I'm going to be the hero because I'm going to mm. save you from being an addict yeah, yeah. or I'm going to be the victim of your actions. So I think initially you're going to want to be one, one, or, the other, one or the other yeah, yeah. in terms of um, your attitudes and your behaviour. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously through the programme we realised that we're not neither of those um, and we're warriors and we're going to get through it. So that's what we, we say in our meetings. It's like, no, we're not victims here and we're not heroes, but we're going to get through this, whatever it is. And how, how that must be quite comforting as well to, to be look at it like that as well, rather than to be the victim, but, you know, we're actually heroes. Yeah. Well, no, because you don't want to be the hero because you're not saving them either. No. Because um, that's also, because that's one addict. Saving wants. yourself, So you, you're I mean. constantly, in, uh, yeah, absolutely saving yourself. But mm. in terms of the addict, uh, you know, it can be hard. And it, for most people, it's really difficult to let go. Um, that's why we pra practice something called detachment with love. Mm. So it's like emotionally just detaching from your alcoholic and not giving them everything they want in terms of, like, so, for example, if they're doing something... Um, and they want to be noticed is not giving them that not in a nasty way it's to protect your own sanity so that's really important is then that's the first thing we kind of tell people is you've got to protect your own sanity first and you can't fix someone unless you fix yourself and, and Sharon you, you talk about detachment there but something that comes to my mind that we Punjabis do a lot more than any community I think maybe the Asian community as a whole is enabling yeah Absolutely. Just just talk us through that. People listening to that might not understand what the enabling process means. Okay. In, My in sense. best understanding of that is like, say, if you're drinking, um, and then I have an argument with you about drinking, um, and then, but you've decided that you've decided yourself you're going to stop. 
but I'm still arguing with you about it. So you're going to be like, well, she's shouting. She's mm. doing my head in, she is. So you're mm. going to be like, oh, well, I deserve a drink. So that's almost enabling. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, it's counterproductive. So when you're arguing with an alcoholic, even if then, especially when they're not drinking, it, it's kind of giving them the fuel to be like, well, actually, you've annoyed me now, so I deserve oh, a drink. Yeah. Yeah. You probably understand that better than no. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. Uh, still got that today. But, you know, there's other forms of enabling as well. And I found the families that we talk to, um, you know, the, the mothers are taking the food upstairs. You know, they're, they're feeding them, they're housing them, they're washing their clothes. And you talked about detachment. And I sometimes say that we need to practice tough love as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, we talk a lot about this kind of bungee effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so most people who enter the recovery rooms have hit their rock bottom. However, with this, what we call the bungee effect, they're not actually ever hitting rock bottom. Mm. So they're never actually getting the help. So as much as that we think that we're helping uh, by taking the food upstairs and and giving them everything they need, we're not actually, as cruel as it sounds, you've got to let an addict work it out for themselves. No, I agree, yeah. Um, So it's um, quite a a tough concept, but that's... um, yeah, I didn't actually quite understand it until someone described it as that. You, you just kind of, they're reaching the bottom and you're just pulling them back. Yeah. So they're not actually getting the help that they need. No, I know that from my own experience. I, I remember my wife used to do that a lot. Um, feed me, even when I'd been horrible, nasty, you know, still the food would be there, clothes would be washed, bed would be made, everything would be done. Mm. And, and I think it, it finally hit home when my mum and my brother, they said, right, you know, enough is enough. You know, we're not putting up with this. And they said, right, get out. And, and then that's when it when I actually stepped on pot benches that that, that was my rock bottom and uh, realizing what life was like did you find recovery then after that yeah this was uh, in 2008 and uh, it was in 2009 when I came into recovery even the beginning of 2009 in January my last drink was January the 30th but even before that I had to uh, um, stay out for the nights because my wife wouldn't let me in, but she had the support of my family to do that. Yeah, no, that's good. And that's also what we find a lot, is people aren't getting that support from the families, mm. um, in terms of, like, just stay there for the kids, or stay there because of shame, or whatever it is. And But that's not always the best way. I mean, I... It, having... Staying for the kids in a toxic relationship with an addict is not always the best thing to do. It's because you've got to think about the damage that that's doing to, that to the to the children. Yeah. Um, so you know, in, even in the community, when people are pushing for that, it is completely, completely unhealthy. Mm. It's a completely unhealthy way of looking at it. And that's another thing. Like with families, the shame aspect of it shouldn't really come into recovery. It's like you've got to bear all in a meeting to, to get recovery. Um, so I think, you know, and the people who are sitting there judging, you know, I'm sure they've got their own issues. So uh, the first thing I say to, to people is like, do you know what, at this point, we're not actually going to think about what other people think at all. We'll let them get on with their lives and we'll get on with ours and, and stay in our own lane and, and deal with what our problems are. Because people are, the people are going to talk about yeah, anything. Yeah. So we'll just leave them to it. Let them have their fun and we'll get recovery. Do you feel that attitudes are changing in our community, not just in our community, but in the wider community, you know, towards um, alcoholics, drug addicts, but also groups like what you're doing, people are probably coming more, you know, because of the awareness, the understanding that people are accessing more support? I think the awareness is 
definitely getting yeah. better. The understanding perhaps is taking more time than it should. What is that taking? Why, why do you think that is? I, I don't even think that's restricted to the Punjabi community. I think just the understanding of addicts. In general. And, yeah, like for example, like when you see homeless people, like, oh, they're drug, drug addicts, that's why they've ended up on the road. However, like when you look into it, 80% of them have only started taking drugs to come, like to deal with the elements and, and being homeless. Mm. Whereas, like, you know, your first perception is they've become homeless because they're a drug, drug addict. And, you know, it's that kind of perception um, of unkindness related to it that, that's always been there. So to change that, it, it's going to be quite difficult. And then also when you see addicts, you generally see them making, a, when you know that they're addicts, you generally see them making a fall of themselves or being like difficult or you know so then your kind of perception is going to be negative so to change that to kindness it, it it's going to take time i'd say we're going to get there but um like i say it, it's just trying to change those mindsets that have been there for generations and you talk about kindness there and i mean i know every religion is that their foundation is based on kindness i know sikhi the sikh faith is also um foundations from Guru Nanak Dev Ji um, were also based on kindness. What roles, what kind of a role does the Godwara need to play today as well? Because this is a social issue, isn't it? It is. Um, and again, the 12 Steps is a spiritual program, maybe mm. not a religious one. Mm. Uh, but they do need to kind of step up a bit and, and you know, when they do their talks or whatever, instead of talking about things that aren't always relevant, is talk about stuff like this. But mm. Again, I think it's more about getting, I think for our generation, it's more about getting stuff out there on social media, etc. Um, because that people might not always connect, like in a spiritual, religious aspect. And then you say the awareness is out there, and you know, you see on social media, mental health. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there on mental health now, and, and, and alcohol and drug addiction is, is, um, is part of that. But I think the encouraging thing for us in the Punjabi Sikh community that you know, some of the largest Godwaras in the in the country now, like South or Derby, you know, they're in Leicester, Coventry, they are addressing these issues. So hopefully when other Godwari look at these Godwari, they'll think, well, actually, we, we, you know, if they're doing this, then why shouldn't we be doing this? Yeah, I think definitely. I think that there should be some kind of programme that all, like, Godwari follow mm-hmm. um, in terms of what to do if an addict does come in or need help and... Mm. and that have like someone maybe dedicated mm. to deal with that or someone they can refer someone to because you know what for someone to step in um to a god they're at the lowest point you know and they need help is just to have someone to talk to and talk i think that me. should be the initial step taken mm. like maybe just have someone as a representative representative in a godra where you can just be like okay that's fine you know what you've got a problem talk to this person Sharon, you know, some of the work you're doing, I've been to uh, the meeting that you hold in Birmingham, and honestly, you know, I can say to the people listening to this podcast, it is, you know, you really, they're really powerful, you know, not just from an addict's point of view, but from a, the family's point of view, the support you give, and, and the emotions in those rooms are, are, are really overwhelming, and the energy in that room is, I, I, I can't express it in words, and the work you're doing to support these families is, is really phenomenal because sometimes these families don't have anywhere else to turn to. They can't turn to their families because they don't understand. And the work and the, the amount of time and effort you put into this, I know I've been in contact with you for more than over two years, 
and I know when you started this meeting, um, there was a lot of anxiety and you know how the community would uh, respond to this. And I think despite the, sh the small numbers that come, the few people that have come there have felt uh, taken a lot of comfort from it. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast, hopefully. And what, what can you say to them to reach out to people like yourself and come to these meetings and get the support they need? Because the alcoholic like me, we've got a program. You know, I say to today, you know, um, when I came into recovery, sometimes I'd still have arguments with my wife. And my sponsor would have to tell me that, Jazz, you've got a program, but your wife hasn't. And sometimes we forget that, that our families don't have a program. We do have a program. We do have a sponsor. We do have, a t you know, the tools and the mechanism, but those families don't. How important is it for those families to reach out to people like yourself and your group? I'd say it's um, absolutely imperative. Like, if you're dealing with um, an alcoholic um, in, or an addict in your family, you know, it... it I mean, firstly, it can't hurt, can it, just to pick up the phone and have that conversation to, to, to be like, well, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, I find sometimes I'm actually having to convince people of, like, to, to come to the meetings because there's such an uncertainty about what it might entail. And then when you kind of stress that it's a spiritual program, people are kind of a bit put off by that too. But I feel like, you know, if you can, just ring and... and and the support is there. Also, you know, um, is this a Punjabi speaking as well? I know you're Punjabi. I know. I know we're not spoken, but but I know it's quite good, and you're very fluent in Punjabi. So if someone wants to speak in Punjabi, they they, they can do. Can't yeah, they? absolutely. I mean, most of the group is at the moment. It was we do have most of the meeting in English because yeah. most of them are British Asians. But I think like if it came and someone came and they couldn't speak any English, everyone in the group can speak Punjabi, so that shouldn't put anyone off yeah. at all, and that's why we, where the Punjabi speaking group is and also the one uh, in the Sharon the other thing is, there's a big one as well confidentiality yeah. and anonymity and, and, and that goes without saying they're protected with that as well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, and the first thing I say to someone is like, they're like, um, I had a lady ring me once, she never came to me, because mm. she's like what if I see somebody, mm. I know and I was like, well, that would be brilliant because you know that that person is struggling with the same thing that yeah. you are. Yeah. So obviously, once you step foot in that room, you're, it's, you're kind of governed by confidentiality and anonymity. And that person is struggling as much as you are. So you help them as yeah. well. So it's about like um, understanding that you know, we won't talk about anyone's issue. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if, once you come to an alarm meeting, you've got enough issues of your own. Yeah. Um, so you, you don't talk about anyone in that way and, and some of the and love and friendships that we've built from coming to the support groups is a second to none because we've got that mutual understanding of what it's like to hurt mm. so and I think you know it's really important that if someone is struggling that there's no shame in picking up that phone and like even though you're not the addict you must have been damaged by it you can't live with an addict and not be damaged Sharon also these podcasts are going out um especially during the week of Alcohol Awareness Week. And, you know, Alcohol Awareness Week, you know, some people say it should be it should be literally every week of the year. But how important, you know, we have Mental Health Week, Suicide Awareness Week, and also we've got um, uh, Alcohol Awareness Week now. So how important is raising issues like this and having these weeks and talking about these openly and freely um, important? 
just absolutely imperative it's like we talked about this last year as well didn't we yeah. saying that you know we need to make a big thing of alcohol awareness week because and get as m- the message out to as many people as we possibly can um because the thing is even if just one person steps forward based on um the awareness that we raise we, we've helped one family we've helped one person so i think it's just it's so important to get it out there and almost to not normalize it but make people familiar with the fact that do you know what people are getting help so if they see how full the rooms are for like AA meeting in the Punjabi community, like how many people are coming forward and how many people are getting recovery, then I think it, it it's just so important and for people to understand that it, it's okay to ask for help and it, the help is there if, if you want it. Sharon, you know, it's been marvellous talking to you and you've given us so much information there and a, a huge insight into the support group you run in, in Birmingham. Is it okay for me if anyone ever rings me or, or contacts the Seat Recovery Network through this podcast to pass on your um, details if any family member wants to to talk to you or even uh, join you in the support group. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, if you just, um, you can give out the, the number that I've given to you and that, that's absolutely fine. Also, they can contact the Alanon support groups directly. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to speak to someone Punjabi speaking, then I'd be the representative anyway, so... Um, they can either speak to yourself or call the main number for Alanon UK. There you are. Um, if anyone wants to ring Alanon, you can ring Alanon and you will get that um, support that you need. But by all means, if anyone wants to ring the Seat Recovery Network or contact us through the podcast, you can and uh, we can provide you with Sharon's number. Sharon, big thank you. No doubt we'll be speaking to you again. And um, keep up the good work you're doing and uh, may God bless you. Finally, we forgot. You know, the podcast is called Under the Influence. What are you under the influence of today? Not alcohol. But what though? We know that. <laughs> we would have interviewed you if you were. <laughs> um, spirituality, I'd say. Wow. And serenity. Two big ones. Mm-hmm. Well done. Thank you, Sharon. Great. Thank you.